This show is brought to you by my friends at Alliance and Trust. In wild times like these, you need more than financial product salespeople. You need a firm that looks at the entirety of your life and helps you with strategies that coordinate all disciplines of good stewardship so you can manage wisely what God has given you and thrive in these times of chaos and confusion. Have a team that acts as consultants in the business of you. Let Alliance and Trust help you plan for what's next. To learn more and get your free copy of Alliance and Trust's book on financial stewardship, Wisdom Before Wealth, visit friendofbrice.com or call 805-371-8020. I was in Michigan at a church speaking this week. This is a powerful church that's contending with their governor, Governor Whitmer, which rhymes with Hitler. <laughs> we have Mussolini, so. And, and they understand the calling and I'm watching the church um, either crumble or rise depending on the shepherd of the flock. You know, uh, Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart used to say that before he passed, he said that politics was downstream from culture. And the church is supposed to drive culture, but we're watching churches acclimate to culture, saying there wasn't six victims, there was seven. Elevating a murderer as though somehow they're justified in their... Well, every, every crime is a hate crime, but justified. You know, I, I don't need people to accept me. I don't, I don't need you to agree with me in order to be validated. And, and to force an entire population to either agree or die or be canceled. That's where we are today. And, and we're, in a, we're in a battle for the soul of the nation in the sense that we're image bearers as, as Christians. The Bible says we're created in the image of God, male and female. He created them. I didn't say that. God did. And to be image bearers, you can either embrace it or despise it. And this is a battle between God says and man says. Man says that you can change your gender. Man says that biological males can have babies. I've never seen that happen. That biological females can become men. I've never seen that happen. You can mutilate the body. You can mess with the DNA. You can put an experimental mRNA into our children. Now the number one killer of adults 65 and older is sudden death syndrome. We're watching children dropping from cardiac arrest. The secular progressive left wants to be God. They don't want to worship and honor God. It's fitting that we discuss this on Palm Sunday because when Jesus in John chapter 12 came into Jerusalem, they they lauded him as king, Messiah. A few short days later, they'd say crucify him. He had a lot of fans on Palm Sunday. When Jesus comes to town, there'll be obedience, there'll be worship, there'll be curiosity, cleansing, but there'll also be opposition. And here we are today. This is not me battling someone else. People aren't the enemy. They're the opportunity. The ideology is the enemy. We're contending for truth. Truth that will set captives free. There's one truth. It's not subjective. You don't get to make your own truth. You say there's no absolutes. And then as Frank Turek, the apologist said, You know, and I I got it from him. Do you believe that? Absolutely. (laughs) The realization that there's one truth and we're to contend for it. We're we're now watching where they're saying two plus two equals four is now a whistle, a dog whistle for fascists or white supremacists. And that they're changing the definition of two plus two. It doesn't equal four. We're rewriting the lexicon and etymology, the meaning of words. And it's confusion, utter confusion. We're watching in New Zealand, a woman standing for women's rights and the voice of women standing and transgender activists 
are throwing tomato soup on the bodyguards and attacking that she had to leave because of the threat of her life. We're watching biological males dominate women's sports. You can't define anymore what a woman is. It's very confusing. And we're inserting this on our children. We're watching a nation struggle for its identity and the the, the bottom line is, do you believe in truth? And if you do, are you willing to stand for it? Are you willing to face the consequences for standing for truth? Because in a world that despises it, you'll be a target. And children are looking to you, your children and your grandchildren are looking to you to see if you do believe in truth. And if truth is something worth standing for, they're watching you. We see a nation crying out for an awakening and a revival as the church seeks God. But do we really want that? An awakening is an alignment with the reality of God. The laws of nature and nature's God that we realize we have violated cosmic order and yet to stand for that truth you'll be a target it's right here in our own valley they don't want to argue truth they don't want truth to be spoken of they we have the guardian newspaper and the anti-fascists of the conejo have decided to pick up the guardian newspaper when it's before it's picked up by the person it's been delivered to. The anti-fascists are fascists. They don't want an opposing voice. They don't believe in the freedom of speech. They want to silence anything that opposes them. And they don't want to debate on truth. They just want you to shut up. You say, why are you talking about this in church? Because this is the last vestige of freedom. You can't put your head in the sand and think it's going to go away. Your children are counting on you until your grandkids. And it's a cosmic battle that Christ faced when he came in to Jerusalem. They began to wave palm fronds, which was a symbol of a king and a messiah. They were the, the palm branches of my favorite palm tree. I love palm trees. My wife knows this. We, we have a place in Phoenix. Don't worry, I'm not moving there. <laughs> What's that? Oh, I won't. Thank you, dear. Yes, no, I won't. Uh, It's the only place I could afford. (laughs) This isn't affordable here. (laughs) We spend time there, so, you know, you have an investment property, and and it's got palm trees on it. And my favorite palm tree, not the Mexican fan palm. Those are cool, but when you trim them, they just look, you know. They're all skinny and gaunt. And then the pineapple palms are just intrusive and ugly, and they just, just right in front of your lawn, and... But the majestic, beautiful date palm, it, it would line the estates of the Romans. It, it, it was that which kings in the desert would establish their nobility by these stately palm trees that just declare strength and presence. And I love date palms. Well, that's, those are the palm fronds that they waved when Jesus came into Jerusalem. We're gonna take a look at that momentarily But I want us to understand something before we begin the study of the word this morning. That this Palm Sunday, it's significant, at least for me, I pray for you as well, uh, looking back at three years of attack. They they declared Palm Sunday and the church non-essential during our Holy Week. The governor did that. And and now we watch the President of the United States declaring that transgender are created in the image of God. We're watching as we coddle this and we think that love is overlooking sin and all that happens when that occurs is entitlement no debate, you'll accept me or you'll die. 
as image bearers, creating the image of God, male and female. If you despise being an image bearer of God, you're going to want to mutilate that image. You want to be in control of what gender you will be. You want to be God. You want to be in control of life, whether a child lives or dies. Whether that organ is more for you than it is for them. And the fetal cells to make you look younger. We're in a very awful state here in California. This is the abortion destination. A lot of you are saying, I didn't come for this. Well, there's lots of other churches. They'll blow sunshine your way. I'm, I'm not here to make you miserable. I am here to say that what happened on Palm Sunday is happening right now. Either Christ is king or he is not. And the reason why they praised him and then later said crucify him is because they had expectations. They, they, didn't, they, they weren't creating the image of God. They wanted to create God in their image. And when he didn't fulfill their expectations, they said crucify him. They wanted him to be their deliverance from the, the, the knee that Rome had on their neck. They wanted deliverance from Rome. But Christ came to deliver us from a greater enemy than Rome. He came to deliver us from our sin. He would be crucified. He would bleed and die and pour out his blood as we took communion for the remission of our sins. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. That you receive that gift of salvation. If you're born once, you will die twice, but if you're born twice, you'll only die once. You must be born again to receive that gift of salvation, to acknowledge that Christ paid the penalty of your sin and delivered you from the slave block of sin, for the wages of sin is death. And he died in your place. And as Christians, if we're born twice, we don't die. We just fall asleep and awaken in the image of the Lord for all eternity. That's pretty cool. And, yeah, amen. And then, and then um, my favorite part of this is the older I get, the less I care. <laughs> Let me qualify that. Your opinion is irrelevant if you're in opposition to me. Meaning, I, I don't need you to like me to be validated. I'm not afraid of the consequences of truth. I am not afraid of death. I'm immortal until God is done with me. And if anything happens to me, it must first pass through his sovereign hand. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I have children and grandchildren looking to me to see if truth is really worth standing for. And as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, did we take the shot because we believed in its efficacy or did we take it because we were afraid of the consequences of standing for the truth by losing our jobs? Many of us have made the mistake but forget what is behind, strive for what is ahead. Take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. God bless you, you're here. You know what you, you're gonna hear from me. I, I, didn't, I don't seek to offend, but I have that gift. <laughs> but it's, it's so that we can forget what's behind and agree with God, because if we want an awakening, an awakening is very interesting. It means we're aligning with the reality of God. The laws of nature and nature's God the consequences of standing for truth. That when, when we don't, we, 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 we face all kinds of massive confusion. What is a woman? Where are women's rights? Are there more than two genders? Are we supposed to enable that? Are, are we giving them hormone blockers? The, our children, are, are we giving them chemical castration? Chemicals that we don't even give serial rapists in prison because it's inhumane, but we'll do that in California without parental permission or knowledge. This is a battle. And the beacons of liberty exist here in the church. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 2 Corinthians 3.17. This is our calling. And when I was in Michigan, that little church is fired up. When we went to Tennessee, a handful of folks, let's do this. They understand what is at stake. But at the same time, there's churches across America 
that are saying there weren't six victims that day. There were seven. They honor a murderer. They blame the guns. Blaming guns for murder is like blaming pencils for low test scores. It's an inanimate object. If they truly believe that to be true, why are they handing out needles in San Francisco? The Bible says that a man who doesn't provide for his family is less than an infidel. Provision means protection and provision. I'm not packing right now. I've thought about getting a Glock for the flock, but I am not packing. <laughs> there are plenty in here, three layers of security that if any, trust me, there'll be a wall of lead that will stop them. <laughs> but you come to my house to endanger my family. It's another story. You'll receive a high-speed lead infusion. <laughs> and, and, and I don't say that lightly, but I, have, I, I am a steward of their lives. You're not coming in to violate my family. I will stand in defense of my family. I will provide for them. And that's where we are. We have to realize that evil exists. I don't like it, but to redefine it and make it palatable, thinking it's going to go away, it will not. It's devouring itself. The secular progressive left doesn't know what to do. Women, women's rights advocates are being shouted down and threatened by transgender. This is, I'm watching this going, this is crazy. George Orwell's 1984 was supposed to be fiction, not a, not a blueprint. They're saying that two plus two, as I said, is a, is, is a, is a racist dog whistle. Two plus two is four. Because they say there's no absolutes, as I said earlier. And we're contending for truth. There's one truth. And to stand for that will have consequences. But remember this, as Christ came into Jerusalem... Truth came in. We're going to take a look at that story, and we're going to take a look at date palms. It's going to be a great day. Open up, if you would, to John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, these lovely folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Just raise your hand. John chapter 12. John chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that. Just read it. John chapter 12. I'm sorry for the folks online. We can't give you a Bible, but if you come, we'll give you one. Or we can mail you one. Just let us know. And all the folks in the aquarium, you get Bibles. All right. John chapter 12. Would you stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? I'll read out loud if you'll follow along silently. We're going to pick up at verse 12. The passage reads, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They thought they were losing. They thought, what can we do? It was an interesting day. Truth walked into Jerusalem. The world thought that they were embracing him. But they would soon realize 
that if it was truth that they wanted to define or truth that God was defining would be the dividing point between those who would still praise him and those who would later say crucify him. We're all at that place today. This nation is at that place today. God will minister to us through his word and strengthen each and every one of us for the days ahead. There's no despair here. This is a wonderful time to be alive. When sin abounds, grace abounds even more. I'll tell you what, in a dark room, when you light a candle, all eyes go to the light. As I travel this country, I am seeing an awakening and a hunger for truth like I've never seen before. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when you came to town, there would be obedience and worship and curiosity and cleansing and, Lord, certainly opposition. Everyone would have an opinion and a response. There would be critics. The religious leaders would want you dead, gone, and forgotten. There are still those people around today, even within the church, even the elect will be deceived. There'll be those who will go with the crowd, and when the crowd is praising Jesus, they will praise, but the crowd will turn and cry, crucify him. Let's turn that off. What do you say? We do that every Sunday. We can not do it this Sunday. There we go. There will be those who will go with the crowd. But when the crowd would turn and say, crucify him, there will be some in the crowd who would ask curiously, who is this Jesus? Lord, I, I thank you that wise men still seek him, meaning you. And Lord, as we undertake the study of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, that you would establish in our heart the strength and the stability of knowing that none of this has caught you by surprise and you are on the throne, as Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. He wasn't in despair when a political leader who he had put so much credibility in had died. He wasn't in despair because in that moment he saw you. May our eyes be upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. For you, the, you are the embodiment of truth and you are our rock, our firm foundation upon which we stand. As the eyes of the little ones look to us, may they see us unwavering and strong upon that rock of Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Minister to us now, we pray, in accordance with the riches of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, have a seat if you would. Every Palm Sunday, I like to do this, and if you've attended before and you've seen it and you're like, why again? Too bad. <laughs> I love it because for me, it was one of those moments in time where as a history major at Fresno State, the Harvard of the San Joaquin Valley, <laughs> as a history major at Fresno State, I, I was moved because I... I, I, I couldn't survive doing a business degree because I, I was terrible at math. And when I got to the course catalog to pick a major, because I was an athlete at the time and I, I wasn't a good student, and I had to pick a major because I had to graduate. And I was looking through the course catalog and I couldn't do business, which my dad wanted me to do because I, I just didn't understand even the title, let alone the content of the courses. And I had just become a Christian and I was reading the Bible voraciously. I couldn't put it down. I'd never read a book cover to cover to that point or done a term paper. I know, I was an athlete. You get away with that. But I couldn't put the Bible down. And when I got to the course catalog in the Bachelor of Arts and I got to a degree in history, dyslexia or just having read the Bible, the title of every class began with a capitalized word that was history, history of history of early America, history of. And when I saw the word history capitalized, I saw this, his story. Because everywhere I was reading in the scriptures, the word his, when I was speaking of God, was capitalized. And so I came to see history as a redemptive thread of the Lord in the affairs of man, contending with good and evil. God says or man says. Those that we honor are the ones that have given man freedom, and those we despise are the ones that have obliterated mankind. Hitler, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong. Stalin. And yet, here we are. Yuval Hatari. I gotta add him. You don't know who he is. You need to. He's evil. 
But as we look at these things and we see God's hand in redemption, I see that the Bible itself is the only book in the world where we don't read it, it reads us. We, we have the more sure word of prophecy that speaks beyond the space-time continuum. As a history major, I came to understand that you can't prove historical documents by the scientific method, but by original manuscripts and cross-referencing. And there's no work of antiquity that comes remotely close to the validity of the Bible itself. And one of the oldest manuscripts we possess was found in the Dead Sea at the lowest point on the earth where you have the most layers of, of protection from, from, from the atmosphere. Because the lower you are, the more atmospheric protection you have of, of destructive UV rays and the light. And it was in a cave in these earthen jars survived 2,000 years as we have the Dead Sea Scrolls that is just as accurate of the scriptures we're reading now as they were when they were written. That, that just, in, as, as far as works of antiquity go, that is unprecedented, unparalleled. It's remarkable. And then when you see the more sure word of prophecy, fulfillment of things written previously, it's just mind-boggling. For anyone to discredit the scriptures, I can tell you one thing, you've never read them. I know this. You haven't read them if you dismiss them. If you don't understand the majesty and the profound nature of them, that it's a living, breathing word of God, it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart, it jumps off the pages into your heart. It's remarkable. And yet, with this, I was so moved when I came across a man named Sir Robert Anderson. He had worked for the Scotland Yard. He was an investigator. Here's a picture of him. He died in 19, I think, 18. Sir Robert Anderson was the second assistant commissioner of crime of the London Metropolitan Police, 1881 to 1901. He was also an intelligence officer, theologian, prolific writer, including writing more than 20 books on religious topics. His search was extensive. And the information in his books is thorough. His book, The Coming Prince, you can still get it today. It's a great read. Gives clear documentation of the timing and accuracy of the biblical prophecy of Daniel 9. We'll cover it momentarily, and you'll see why it ties in with the triumphal entry. Daniel 9 and can be used as a strong, effective, apologetic resource to prove the veracity, the truthfulness of the Bible. Today, Robert Anderson is best known for his book, The Coming Prince, in which he explains the prophecy of Daniel 9.24. Daniel said the Jewish Messiah would come 490 years after the commandment of Cyrus, king of Persia, to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. And Anderson's calculations showed that Jesus Christ rode in Jerusalem to public acclaim Luke 19, known as a triumphal entry on the precise day that was prophesied by Daniel. Cyrus the king, interesting guy, takes over Babylon. When he arrives, Daniel's waiting for him unravels a scroll that's 250 years old that has his name written in it that he would take Babylon and come under the gate and, and, and block the Pishon River so that he could go under the gate by stopping the river from flowing. And he reads that and goes, you're kidding me. And Cyrus, who's a pagan king, would, would establish religious liberty for the Israelites and let them establish their king and kingdom. Ezra and Nehemiah would rebuild first the temple and then the wall. And the rebuilding of Jerusalem under Nehemiah started the clock ticking from the prophecy of Daniel 9. And that clock began to tick as Sir Robert Anderson in his book, The Coming Prince, points out to the date. And you know when it happened. Daniel 9, 24 says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublesome times, which was with Nehemiah, they built the wall. When the decree came out from Artaxerxes and Nehemiah, the clock began to tick. Sir Robert Anderson, looking at the different types of calendars in world history, calculated with complete accuracy. He said 483 years were completed of the triumphal entry of Jesus, which we just read in John 12. Sir Robert Anderson's significant work, the uh, coming prince, followed this argument in great detail. Anderson, using a 360-day year, which Israel used in Daniel's day, calculated 173,880 days from the decree to the triumphal entry, fulfilling the prophecy to the day. 
It's customary for Jews to have 12 months of 360 days each, then insert a 13th month occasionally when necessary to correct the calendar. That's Wolver who put that together. And as Newell says, there was only one occasion in our Lord's earthly ministry on which he depicted as presenting himself openly as Zion's king, the so-called triumphal entry recorded in each one of the gospels and fulfilling, which we read earlier, Zechariah 9.9 and Psalm 118, verse 26. You see, he had told others he was the Messiah, but it wasn't until he came in in John 12, declaring himself to be the Messiah, Luke 19, declaring himself to be the Messiah publicly and accepting the declaration that he was Zion's king. That was the day. Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 9.9, which is fascinating because we read in John 12 that he came in on a, on a colt, a donkey, a, a, a young one. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that's not a majestic beast. They're tiny. Jesus sitting on that thing, his legs were dragging. And that thing, It's majestic. You can't look studly on a donkey. But the Lord came in in accordance with the messianic prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. And, and Jesus even says, go into the town and take this donkey. And if anyone asks about it, just say, my master has need of it. That's like going into somebody's house and saying, you know, starting their car and they come, what are you doing? My master has need of it. It's like a Jedi, a Jedi mind trick. These are not the, the droids you're looking for. Okay, okay. Yeah. And my master has need of the dog. Okay, okay. Just take it. That's all right. I didn't need it. Just take my car. Well, that's what he did. He came in, and, and as he approaches the city riding on this, this young foal of a donkey, Psalm 118, verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You heard us saying, Hosanna. That, that means, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Uh, this, is, this is a picture. This is what Christ had declared. This is, what, this is what the scriptures had spoken of. And you look at the clock ticking at the decree of Artaxerxes and Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall from Daniel 9, verses 24 and 25. And Sir Robert Anderson did the calculation as the clock began to tick. 476 times 365, that's 70 times seven weeks, 365 days in a year would be 173,740 days. Add 14 March to 6th April, both inclusive 24 days. Add for leap years, 116 days. He was meticulous. It equals 173,880 days. The decree comes out from Artaxerxes. We have the exact date of that, and you start counting 173,880 days from that point. And it comes down to March 30th, 33 AD. I don't know if you're tracking me here. <laughs> Luke 19, Jesus wept over the city as he drew near on his triumphal entry. He saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now you're, they are hidden from your eyes. He looked at the city on the 173,880th 173,880th day from the decree of Artaxerxes and Nehemiah and as he approaches the city on the day where their salvation was to come because he was their salvation and he would be crucified, he began to weep. He saw a city that decided to make God in their image instead of worship God, realizing they've been created in his image. They wanted God to dance to their tune instead of them dancing to God's tune. He saw, like we see in America today, a people much like Christians in the church in America, the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. We're all moved by feelings instead of logic and truth. I feel. That, that's where we get the word empathy. I hate the word empathy. Empath, it's, it's, it's demonic. Now, to be sympathetic is one thing. Empathy, no. I feel. Feelings have no bearing on truth. You can have discernment. Discernment is the ability to see things through the lens of God and understand what's right and wrong. 
And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But Christ comes to Jerusalem to those who are praising him as the coming Messiah, going to deliver them from, from the knee that is on the neck of all Israelites by Rome, hoping that they will receive deliverance from Rome by this Messiah who will create a revolution, the one they want. But instead, he's coming to, to deliver them from their greatest enemy, their sin. Everyone has a death sentence. It's appointed once for a man to die, then judgment, and we are guilty. There are none righteous, no, not one. I didn't come to church years ago for the first time. I didn't become a Christian for the first time because I wanted to better myself. I was sick of me. Every time those things I wanted to do that I knew were good, I didn't do those, and those things I didn't want to do, those I did. I think you can relate to me. There isn't a, a person in this room who hasn't said, I swear to God I won't do it again. And you did it again. And if you're saying no, you're lying. And you know it. So you got a whole other set of problems. The only good thing in Rob McCoy and the only good thing in you is Jesus. Now, I know that's hard for some folks to stomach because you're a self-made man or a self-made woman. I always say, what part of yourself did you make? Right? Again, who keeps your heart beating and your lungs moving when you sleep at night? You? <laughs> right. Who fashioned you together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully, knitted you together? Who did that? Why are you here? What's the why and what you're doing? What's your purpose? Are you, are you your own God? Do you set your own destiny? Are you in charge of the direction of your life? Or have you come to meet the one who has fearfully and wonderfully made you and fashioned you for such a time as this and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations, as he said to Jeremiah, that he's got a purpose for your life that is profound. That you don't have to come to life and go, man, why did I have to be born now in this tumult, in this misery, in this destruction of a nation that my, my ancestors helped build that I'm watching crumble before my eyes? Because God wired you and prepared you to be just the catalyst of hope and truth in the midst of that darkness, that you would be a light, that you would glorify your Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul, if you, if you think that, that you are good, and, and I was just in the, my office and, and one of the many servants in the church walked in and says, are you good? And what they were saying is, do you need anything? I said, I, I don't think I'm good, but I don't need anything. <laughs> when people come and say, how you doing? And you say, I'm good. I don't say that anymore. I say, I'm well. There's only, only God is good. I, 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 I follow in the lines of, of a, a great theologian who agrees with me, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. The, the sooner I understand that, the better off I am. It's humiliating, but humility comes from humiliation, and it's all right. The great truths of the universe, there's a God, you're not him, it's okay. And it's, it's also relieving and comforting all at the same time. But when Christ arrives, he sees a nation that, that wants to tell God what he's supposed to do and he weeps over that nation 173,880 days after he prophetically declared, I'm coming and I'm going to deliver you from your greatest enemy, sin. I'm gonna bleed and die and I'm gonna die in your place. That you may be born again and, and, and only die once and you don't even die, you'll fall asleep and awake in the image of Christ and you don't have to be afraid because the grave won't hold you. And that's why I've come to 58 years of age and I'm no longer fragile, I'm anti-fragile. My body's fading, but I've never felt stronger. I'm not afraid anymore. I don't care if you threaten me. I don't care if you, you, you despise that I say there's two genders. I don't care. I want you to know the truth, that the truth would set you free. Yeah. For those of you who are burdened, Christ weeps over you. For those of you who can't embrace that and think that that's harsh, the Lord weeps. There's truth and we're bound by it regardless of how you feel. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me and truth is not subjective. You don't get to define your own truth. You're not God. 
You didn't create this universe. You're bound by the laws of nature and nature's God. Pain is a, is a gift from God to show us we're outside his will. When my back hurts, it's because I've eaten too much and my stomach is out and my back goes out. <laughs> but I want the pain to go away, so you take drugs. Well, then the pain goes away, but you're still fat. <laughs> and when it wears off, you need more, and then you've you got two problems. You've got a bad back and a drug addiction. Right? And I look at what we've done to our young people. I mean, think about this. We call it a mass shooting. <laughs> it's not a mass shooting, it's a mass murder. They're murderers. And you know what? We want to blame guns, as I said earlier. You know what we should be blaming? Every single mass murderer is on a psychotropic drug or some sort of home hormone blocker. Why don't we blame Big Pharma? And here we are. Those words incite people to frustration and anger. I get it. Because in a world that despises God's authority and his image, I offend you. And so Christ comes into the city. You have expectations as God has created in your image. What you want from him. And if it doesn't fulfill your expectations, you will shortly be in the crowd that will declare his crucifixion. There will be those of you who, in spite of the cry of the crowd, you will stand upon the truth and know that Jesus is Lord. The psalmist says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. I love this. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Yes. <laughs> they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. I received a really sweet gift from a friend. His name's Art. And you know what? There's three types of dates. There's, there's, there's um, Moist dates, semi-dry and dry. And the moist are the mesuals. They're like the king of dates. They're, they're a delicacy in the Middle East. I can't stand them. <laughs> he brought me this wonderful... <laughs> cornucopia. A plethora of dates. Mesuals stuffed with apricots. And... Now, if you wrapped them in bacon, I'd eat them. <laughs> <laughs> It was a sweet gift, and, and, and though I don't like dates just in general, I do love date palms. It is my favorite tree. Michelle hears me talk about them all the time. We're driving through Phoenix. There's a date palm, there's a date palm, there's a date palm. And again, like those Mexican fan palms, not cool. You know, but the date palms. Majestic. I want to take a look at palms, date palms in particular. In ancient Rome, the palm fronds used in triumphal processions to symbolize victory were the most likely those of the... <laughs> the date palm was a popular garden plant in Roman peristyle gardens, though it would not bear fruit in the more temperate climate of Italy. It is recognizable in frescoes from Pompeii and elsewhere in Italy, including a garden scene from the house of the wedding of Alexander. In later times, traders spread dates Around Southwest Asia, Northern Africa, and Spain, dates were introduced into California by Spaniards in 1769, existing by then around the mission in San Diego de Acala. And when we used to have to get the mission um, accomplishment in school, you had to go visit missions. And even in Boy Scouts, you got a special merit badge when you visited the missions. I think it was a medal that you'd get. I remember going to San Diego de Acala because I was born and raised in Coronado. We went to the mission. I remember them telling us that these date palms have been here since the, the middle 1700s. I'm like, whoa! Now, these trees live to be over 100 years old. One cultivar, the Judean date palm, is renowned for its long-lived orthodox seed, which successfully sprouted after accidental storage for 2,000 years. In total, seven seeds about 2,000 years old have sprouted and turned into trees named Methuselah, Hannah, Adam, Judith, Boaz, Jonah, and Uriel. The upper survival time limit of properly stored seeds remains unknown. 
2,000 years old still sprouts. There's hope for each and every one of you. You can still sprout. <laughs> You'll still be able to produce fruit. You, you're, there's still hope for you to be sweet and, and, and provide fruit for others. Right now, you're hard seed. I don't know if I like this guy. He's kind of funny, but I'm not sure. Funny looking, for sure. I don't get a shirt. Well, the shirt is a palm tree. No, it's not. It's bamboo. Okay. You're a seed. Did you know that there are some 2,780 different varieties of palm trees all over our world? So which one of these varieties did the people of God look up to? From all that we can discover through the images they used, from the stories they shared, and from other sources, it was the date palm. While other plants could not withstand the arid and harsh environment in the Middle East, the date palm was able to not only survive, but thrive. The date palm provided food, shelter, and comfort. It was argued that it took only one single date palm tree to meet all the necessary needs of a Jewish man, woman, boy, or girl. My wife has a coin that we got in Israel. It's the Barkova. It's the last coin that was minted before Israel was destroyed by the Romans. And on it is the date palm frond. They, they considered that majestic and a symbol of a vibrant Israel. On Masada, as the Romans, and you're standing on top of Masada, you can see where the Romans embankment, and you saw where they built the ramp, the rampart to attack Masada and, and destroy their country. Now Masada today, as Israel has become a nation since the 40s, I think 1948, they bring every Israeli defense soldier who's training up to Masada and they say, we lost our nation once, we'll never lose it again. It's, it's the Alamo of Israel, Masada. And that coin, the Barkova, has that date palm fronds. It's, it's the strength and the significance of a nation. It's the date palm. Date palm trees are unique in many different ways and one of those being the way it grows. I love this, pay attention, it's really cool because it speaks to us. It grows where its heart is located. The date palm grows out from its center. It grows from the inside out. Have you ever seen what happens when someone puts a wire around an oak tree? Sometimes this is done when an individual wants to put up a wire fence or a clothesline. And over a period of time, that oak tree's bark will grow over that wire. The oak tree will, in effect, envelop the wire. In a matter of years, it looks like the wire is growing out of the tree. I've seen it where it's, uh, an oak tree has consumed a bicycle. I can show you pictures of it. I don't have them right now. But this doesn't happen with the palm tree. The palm tree is vastly different. It grows from the inside out. If you were to put a wire around the date palm tree, something far different would happen. Instead of the wire becoming part of the tree, the tree would actually grow and expand until it broke the wire. It'd be like... Just like that. Just like that. Just... Now you're appreciating date palms like I do. Just, just do it. Just do that. Date palm. Look how cool they look. They're beautiful and they provide shade in the harshest of climates, the sun. And, and if you go into the desert regions of California and Arizona, not only do you see the date palms producing that were brought there in the 1920s and they're flourishing, but they also plant... Uh, uh, grapefruit trees in the shade of them so they get enough sun and the heat allows them, and they were talking about Indian River uh, grapefruits they just they grow the size of the moon and they're so sweet they choke a hummingbird <laughs> and, and the date palms provide this shelter for these trees I just want you to know that people of God should be like the date palm I'll tell you why we want to be living and growing on the inside and they knew that their physical bodies would mature, age, and eventually die and go back to the earth. But they also knew their spirits, their souls could enjoy everlasting life. They knew that one day they could experience a resurrection, enjoy life on a new heaven and a new earth. I may be old on the outside, but on the inside, I just feel stronger than I've ever felt my whole life. I, I, I have a, a renewed joy like I've never experienced. You talk about fragile and anti-fragile. Fragile is you're afraid you're going to break. The older I get, the more anti-fragile. It's like, what, do you, what? There's nothing you can do to me. Nothing you can do to me that's going to stop me. I am immortal, as I said, until God is done with me. And there's just a confidence. The older you get, you just, you just walk through. I don't care. You, hmm. 
Now there's something to be said for the, the older folks in the, in the fellowship. I'm, I'm 58 and they say a pastor carries a congregation 15 years younger than him and 15 years older than him. So 43 year olds up to 73 year olds, that's about my span. So the room's kind of gray, really gray. And you're bringing your kids and you're like, eh, the guy's kind of old, but I'll go because mom and dad are cool. And as we're here, we're starting to realize, you know, these elderly folks, look at some of these, uh, there's Jim Mather back there. He's a hundred years young. A World War II Navy pilot. Now I got, there's his hat right there. Yeah, Top Gun right now, I got you. Now the amazing thing about Jim Mather is I hear people complain about music, music subjective. Every time I look at Jim, he's back there worshiping. It doesn't matter how loud the drums are. He's just worshiping. He is, he is growing on the inside. His outer body, even when I shake his hand, I gotta ice it because he still has got a grip. I'm sure he's doing push-ups and sit-ups to this day. And he looks at me and he goes, you working out? I'm worried about your health. And he's like pushing me to do it. And he grabbed my arm. He goes, you're doing good. You're doing good. Uh, he's growing from the inside out. He's breaking wires at 100. Amen. And he is just stoked every time he comes in to worship the Lord. There's joy. I, I, I want that. You know, I, I just think that's how we grow old. Is we grow young and strong. I mean, look at the majesty of trees that are over 100 years old. Date palms have this unique root system as well. They have roots that go deep into the soil that can take and absorb the smallest of water sources. Many date palms are able to grow 80 to 100 feet tall, and yet they live in sand in the desert-like environments. And how do they do it? They do it by reaching down deep. They do it by sending out a root system that is able to search out the smallest drops of water while at the same time establishing strong and stable foundations. And their roots, when they're grown together, intertwine, and they share the sustenance. And their roots are are porous, so they're able to, to bring in water from any source whatsoever, and they go deep, and they're strong. And I, and I think about us as believers, what is, what is our source of nutrient? It's the water of life. It's the word of God. And I'll tell you right now, if you're withering and your faith is, is dry, it's because you don't read your Bible. I, I, can, I can guarantee you that. You come in and you tell me you're struggling in your faith, I can ask you one question, I already know what the answer is. No, I'm not reading. I had a brother who, calls, who called me and he struggles with PTSD and bless his heart, he's just trying so hard and he's he pushing as best as he can. But there's seasons where he walks away from the word of God and he called me the other day and he said, you know, I, I, I'm struggling. And I always take a call from him because he's such a precious brother and I just love this man. He had a rough day. He said a guy came over and he was, he was coming into my personal space and I said, get back. I, I, I'm not, I can't handle this right now. You've got to, and he kept coming in, like messing with him. And he just said, I kept telling him, stop, stop. And he wouldn't, and he just kept doing it. And finally I just snapped and I, I, I beat him. I'm like, wow. I go, are you reading your Bible? No. I go, put on some worship music and start reading the Psalms and the Proverbs and get some wisdom and praise going. Bible's living and breathing, it'll minister to you. I said, you wanted that guy out of your personal space and God is calling you into his. We all need the water of life, which Jesus, you need some time in the word. I'll tell you, a lot of you are dying of thirst. The only, the only drink you get is every Sunday when I'm opening up the word and you're drinking from the surplus of what I've been doing. You need to get your roots deeper. You are a tree of righteousness planted to the glory of the Lord. You're, you're this, this palm tree that's to produce fruit. You're to have deep roots so that that fruit is just laden upon the tree itself. I love this insight. In like manner, we are to make sure that we too are deeply connected to our source of living water and that we build on a stable foundation we too live in a desert. This is true. 
All one has to do is read social media, watch TV, or go to a movie, and you know that there is a great deal of spiritual wasteland all around us. In other words, there is a great lack of holiness out there in our world. You can find holiness, but you have to be searching for it, reaching out for it, and ready to absorb each and every little drop. That's why we talked about a Shabbat, a Sabbath, where God becomes the, the beginning of your week and the center of your family, where you rest in him and, and you, you, you take in that living water and that sustenance that the roots of your family would be strong and deep. In, in, in a world that is a, a, a barren wasteland, a desert of morality, your home is, a, is, is an oasis in the middle of that desert because your roots are deep and your fruit is abundant. That measual date, maybe I don't personally like them. There's some things about dates I do like. I mean, they go in great sauces and the like, but they are remarkable in, in the vitamins and the nutrients that they possess. They're unique. As a matter of fact, when they entered into a land flowing with milk and honey, the word honey isn't honey. It, it means the date paste. The sweetness of the date palm. Palm trees are evergreens, and as such, they have been created to stay green, growing, and fresh. They have also been designed so that the more mature they get, the better fruit that they provide. Starting around the age of seven and going until the age of about 90 to 100, palm trees are able to give their best fruit. Each year, they can provide up to 200 to 250 pounds of fruit per tree. Some palms have been reported to be able to give good fruit past 125 to 100. And 50 years of age and older, it was not merely their longevity that attracted the ancients to the palms. It was also their ability to grow sweeter and sweeter fruit as they aged. I was at the JSX terminal in Burbank, waiting to catch a flight over to Phoenix. And this man gets off a flight and he is riddled with cancer. You can tell he is, he is just skinny. You can just tell he's, he's a couple clicks from eternity. And I noticed him. It wasn't his gaunt body that drew my attention. It was his smile, toothy and wide. And he's carrying his wife's bags. Frail. And she's kind of healthy. I'm thinking, why aren't you taking those, lady? And he's just joyful. And he's got a cross on his neck. I said, is that jewelry? Are you a believer? And he goes, praise God, I'm a believer. I'm this side of the grass. It's a good day. How are you, young man? I thought, I want to grow old like that. That fruit is still sweet. Sweeter and sweeter. The grave's not going to hold that man. I used to think of my father still do my mom on a Saturday as my dad was in the throes of Alzheimer's told me emphatically I will never put your father in a home I left the house in Coronado came here preached on Sunday called my mom to see how she was doing and she said I put your dad in a home today said he almost burned the house down my mom told me how it happened she said she took him to the the, the Alzheimer's home and as he went in he says I guess it's come to this my mom said yes Roy my dad okay okay he had this way he put his hands behind he walked and his thumb would shake as he'd walk. He had a bad back. I inherited it. He was raised Christian science. The only good thing he got out of it is he believed you don't acknowledge sickness. I never heard the man once complain about any ailment he possessed. He had the constitution of a government mule. He was the longest living resident in that home. He outlived my mom by 10 years. When he passed, the staff from the home came to his memorial weeping. I don't see that. I've done a lot of funerals. That doesn't happen. 
They gave him a nickname. They called him Captain Love. One of his fellow residents would be dying. The family would be gathered around them, getting ready to say goodbye as they're preparing to breathe their last. And my father would come in. He'd stand by the bed as they're all looking at him, what is this man doing? He'd reach in his pocket and he'd pull out some M&Ms and he'd put them on the body. And he'd tap everybody, walk away. He was, he was sweeter and giving out sweets. I remember I went to go see him to say goodbye because he was just getting ready to pass. And he looked awful. Fetal position. I kissed him. I told him I loved him. And I said goodbye. And came to my sister's house and Michelle showed up. She had a longer distance to drive and I said, dad's probably passed by now. She says, I want to go see him. Come with me. I go, I don't want to do it again. I, I don't want to see him. She goes, please. And I, I've come to realize that when my wife insists on something, it's always going to be good. So I went. And I got there and I, I knew he'd be dead. I walked in and his room, his bed was empty and he, I knew he was gone. And they said, he's, you know, he's in the dining hall. I went in there and he's eating pudding. He's like, it's sweet, you know? It's just, he, was, he, he was just the sweetest, sweetest man. I, I wanna be like, I wanna be like the guy in the JSX terminal. I, we're, listen, we're Christians. We grow from the inside. This is temporary. Don't spend your life complaining about your circumstances. Serve others in the midst of it. If you've got an issue, just look at the ones who are setting the example. That's why I pointed out, Jim, there's others as well. Marty Richter, he, he went to be with the Lord. And I'll tell you what, that guy remembered everybody's birthday and called everybody on their anniversary and drove. Not well, but he drove. <laughs> I'd get to a hospital, he'd already be there comforting people. Folks, look, I know I have a 15-year grab, lower and upper. That means the room's kind of gray, but it's filled with sweet people. And I think the date palm on triumphal entry of Palm Sunday is a good example for all of us. I, there's a reason why I love that tree. And there's a reason why the Lord was honored by that tree. Because we're going into a season where there's going to be trial. And your kids and your grandkids are looking to you to see how stately you are. In a desert, they see you as an oasis and provision them. And you dig deep and you find the source of living water and you show them where it's at. And those roots are intertwined in our family. We set that example for each and every one of us. It's necessary for the season ahead. We don't need to be afraid, we just become stately. Listen, it can be a wasteland of morality, but those palm trees are an oasis in a desert. And we lift up the name of Christ and all will be drawn unto him. I think there's a reason why I love date palms so much. Because I shepherd a congregation filled with them. Let's do it right. Let's make this the best part of our life. Amen? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the triumphal entry we thank you that they praised you with date palm fronds. The majestic nature of declaring you the Messiah and the king of Zion's king. But yet, Lord, our strength comes when we realize we're created in your image. You're not to be conformed to ours. In a world that is abandoning belief and trust in you because they want you to dance to their song instead of there to dance to yours. They have forgotten the laws of the universe that there's a God and they are not him. Lord, may we be just the opposite in that wasteland of morality where those would run from Christ and even the elect themselves would be deceived. 
that truth would not be honored and it would be a wasteland of hope, we would be an oasis of hope where many would find sustenance and strength in the shade of the majesty that you have created in our lives as though we grow older, we become stronger and anti-fragile and sweeter. Lord, let us have the joy of the Lord. Let us serve one another. For if we want to be great in your kingdom, we're to be a servant of all. Lord, let us not focus on our ailments. Let us focus on others. And I pray that you would bless this precious congregation, that they would go from strength to strength, that they would be trees of righteousness planted for the glory of the Lord. I thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of The Bryce Eddy Show. Hey, we need your help. We have a special call to action. Please subscribe to our new Rumble channel, The Bryce Eddy Show. If you've been consuming this on our church website or church channel, go ahead and subscribe to us on Rumble. We need to build those numbers there for that new dedicated channel. For your convenience, we have a link in the description below.